Welcome back to To The Point with Mick Rich. Today's guest is Randall Major, President of the Mexico Cattle Growers Association. Randall, I have some questions for you. I would imagine there are challenges to being a cattle grower to, your, to members of your association, and, and I kind of sketched a few out that, sure. I, that I have some questions about. Number one is the Endangered Species Act. Yes, so how does that play into your, your, your business? Well, the Endangered Species Act, you know, that's an important act, you know, and, and it is important that we try to preserve and protect, you know, our animals out there. And because ranchers do really care about wildlife and, right. and we water them, we feed them, and we see them every day. I mean, I have a great love for, for uh, wildlife and, and so do all ranchers. But the Endangered Species Act, you know, in a lot of ways, is can be detrimental and uh, different regions of our state we've had different issues uh, one one that comes to mind on the kind of the southern region there in the sacramento mountains is the jumping mouse and then right. the, the jumping mouse down there on some federal allotments the forest service had gone in there and had fenced uh, out riparian areas which right. were you know been areas where the ranchers have historically watered their livestock for years and so there's that conflict, even though there hasn't even really been a mouse spotted there, but it's a habitat they're trying to protect for that mouse, which, uh, you know, creates uh, water takings. And so there was a lawsuit that uh, the Goss family had actually uh, sued for that and won that lawsuit. And so... Uh, uh, one to protect the mice? The mouse? Yes, jumping sir. Jumping mouse? Who is that family? Uh, pardon me? You said the Goss? The Goss family was the ones who were the allotment tea owners down there in southern New Mexico. And so uh, it was there on their allotment that where they were grazing their cattle that the, you know, the Forest Service had come in and fenced off. So the they sued to open up the area. The Forest Service to open the area back up. And did they, were they successful? They were successful in that. And uh, I can't remember specifically what year uh, that that took place. But and then w at the same time we also have the Mexican wolf right down in, and that's down in southeast. The, the Mexican wolf or is southwest. I right, say. yes sir. And it, you know, it started off uh, in the 90s when they first came to uh, the wildlife services said that they wanted to put a hundred wolves and reintroduce them in the Blue Range which was in the Gila and parts of Arizona and but that they would not grow them any more than a hundred uh, wolves. And so here we are in the year uh, 2000s, and they, they've, uh, now they've changed it to 300 wolves, uh, not to mention all the hybrid wolves that are running around in the country without that aren't collared. And they've expanded the range from uh, all the way from the western side of Arizona to the eastern side of New Mexico south of I-40. Oh, and wow. so they've expanded their range. They've opened up the areas, even in Magdalena area, where there wasn't... Uh, right area now they come in there. Now I, I've traveled all over the state. I've done that with my business. I did it on my campaign. Here I am in the southwestern section of uh, New Mexico. <coughs> I'm driving by and geez, my gosh there's an enclosure for kids to wait for the school bus to be to protect them 
from the Mexican wolf. Am I, is that correct? That's, that's true. That's very correct. You know, years before, you know, when we grew up as children, we waited at the side of the road for the right. school bus to come for protection for those children, you know, at, at whatever times that it might be necessary, they built these enclosures. And so. so what always kind of imagines, which I find interesting in today's politics in San Francisco, you'll hear people up in arms that we are housing children in, in cages, right, quote cages, right, <laughs> that are immigrants, but not a word is said about our ranchers' children being in cages. This to me is just, just outrageous. Yes, sir. No, that's very, that's uh -huh. very true. And, and you know, in, in uh, another subject in that same region, we've got the spotted owl. The spotted oh. owl that took place, you know, and they they protected uh, those forests, the habitat for the spotted owl. Well, then later, uh, fires come, and now it's burning that habitat down, which oh. I noticed today we're still breathing smoke. <laughs> oh, that's right. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I read an article, I think it's in Washington, that the U.S. wildlife is gone into the forests of Washington shooting owls that are competing with the spotted owl. Were you aware of that? I wasn't aware of that. That's, that's actually <laughs> happened. I go, how in the world can the U.S. Wildlife Service go out and shoot owls and say, maybe that spotted owl just doesn't have enough gumption to hold its own with anybody. <laughs> but, but you are right, and we're looking at this. The other one that I noticed was, uh, and I've talked, this is up in the Hamas, but it goes back to the, the uh, U.S. forest, because uh, ranchers lease land from our U.S. forests, and so for our, our listeners, our viewers that aren't aware of this, that the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service, those lands were set aside for mixed use. It's for habitat <coughs> preservation. It's about usage for the people, for the cattle industry, the sheep industry. It's also for timber, and it's for recreation. Yes, it's also meant that for water supply for urban areas. And so now we've gone to it and w the pendulum has swung away from really true mixed use to almost sole use. Yes, sir. And, and it's horrendous to me. Right, well, and, and you know, on those federal lands, what's happening there is the ranchers are able to come in there and, and it's a multiple use land, public lands, and then are able to graze that land and be able to put that to some use that you can't develop, the, the land you can't use for really anything else. So you can graze and, and uh, the land and also uh, uh, it's also for recreation as you were talking about and hunting. And so by a rancher ranching that land and undeveloping it, it keeps that uh, land pristine. And uh, also the rancher, when he comes in there with projects, they put in water. Uh, water improvements on those right. lands, which uh, was very, very good for the wildlife to be able to drink. And, uh, so, yeah, just so you know, I've gone backpacking all over the West. Uh, in a lot of the areas that I've backpacked in was <coughs> in U.S. Forest Service, U.S. Forest. And, and understood that that I am sharing the land with the cattle. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you got to kick a few cow pies out in order to roll out your sleeping bag. But I'm only there for a weekend or a couple days or a week. 
you guys are there for a lifetime. Yes, sir. Being stewards of the land. And, and to me, you guys are what I would call patriots. And when I say that, it is about that a patriot is one that cares for our country, that, that is a steward of the land that says that land is important to me and to preserve it. And it's huge. And the thing about that livestock being out on that land as well, when they graze that land, uh, it also keeps that tender box down. And, right. you know, and, and also the woods, you know, uh, the spotted owl, they had uh, uh, gone in there and put a lot of the loggers out of business. And so uh, when they put the loggers out of the business, then, uh, you know, naturally they're not cutting the forest like they should. Sure. And with the cattle being grazed, now, here we have all these fires burning and just non-stop California burning up and uh, we're constantly every day smelling so that smoke. What, right. What we're not doing, it, it is a balance. Yes, sir. And right now <clears throat> we're out of balance and yes, we're seeing this. I see it. Is that 30, 40 years ago when I would backpack, you would see Ponderosa uh, pine forests that have open grasslands, you had the trees, now you go to Hamas, you have small seedlings, one next to the other. Right. I can remember when the had the Los Alamos fire, somebody had, I'm thinking, 50 to 100 trees on their half acre lot. Right. Now a tree was the size of your thumb. <laughs> they got 4,500 bucks per tree if it burned down. But again, it's not about we're not managing our forests. That's huge. The other one that I noticed that when Marion and I were up in outside Flagstaff, there were Forest Service roads all over the land, the forest. In New Mexico, I've been up in northern New Mexico. The forest roads have all been closed. Same thing in the Hamas. I'm seeing it all over. Is that what you're seeing? Yes, sir. There has been a lot of uh, wilderness areas designated in New Mexico. I mean, in the last 30 years, and uh, it's uh, you know it's the point where they have shut down roads. They've even began to create uh, wilderness areas that aren't really uh, good areas to be wilderness, and and you know that may have pipelines, that may have improvements on them, roads and whatnot. And so they've made these wilderness areas might even be down to as small as 10,000 acres, you know, I mean, it's... And, and I, yeah, I understand that. The other one is on, but when we talk about this in, up in, around Flagstaff, there were Forest Service roads all over the forest. I come here, I went to northern New Mexico, going through the, I think it was Kit Carson Forest, there was one road in and out. Right. No side roads, no ways that Marion and I could take our RV and just take a side forest road right. into the, and then just park it. There was none of that. Well, and that's true, and that's something people don't think about. You know, the handicapped who used to be able to enjoy the public lands, you know, unless they're able to, uh, you know, be able to walk in there, then you, you're not going to be able to access a lot of the public land. Okay, we need to wrap this segment up, Randall. I thank you very much. I hope our listeners, just one real po quick point, is BLM, when we talk about this, it is about Bureau of Land Management.
just want to make that clear for everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Welcome back to The Point with Mick Rich. I have Randall Major here with me, president of the Mexico Cattle Growers Association. We've been talking about the Cattle Growers Association, our ranchers right here in New Mexico. We've talked about the challenges that we face. And this segment, Randall, I want to chat briefly about the challenges that our ranchers face on the Mexican border. Now, I've gone down there multiple times, uh, chatted with ranchers. They talk about having to maintain miles of fence to separate their ranches from Mexico, to keep Mexican cattle off their ranches. I've talked to, I believe it was the Johnsons down there on the border just south of Deming. On the border, they said that if Mexican cattle come onto their land, that there's issues with diseases that Mexican cattle have, the next thing you know, you're spending hundreds, you know, $100 per cow, per steer or calf. Uh, so what, what do you, when you're as the president of the Mexico Cattle Growers Association, what are your members saying that are on the border? What are they talking to you about? Well, it, it's changed a lot of these few years. Years ago, you know, things were, were a lot better. Now there just seems to be a real uh, lot of uh, immigrants coming up, you know, through the border. But these just aren't like years past, people coming up to find jobs. These people are coming up. There, there's a lot of drug trafficking coming up. There's a lot of guns, automatic weapons. I mean, it's dangerous down there on the border for these families. And so, you know, we've got, uh, there was a rancher in Arizona that had been shot uh, by, you know, an immigrant coming up through there. And, and so if you just happen to come along, uh, uh, some people that are transporting drugs, you know, across the border and uh, on up, then I mean, it could have some real grave consequences. You know, people are, are worried in their homes, you know, there's uh, people try to come through their yards and, and uh, it, it's just not safe down there. Like so I was chatting, uh, Teresa Johnson was sharing a story what happened on their ranch and her son and son-in-law were driving on their ranch, came around a bend and there was a half a dozen drug cartel members working their way back to the border. These young guys, you know, like young guys would do. Right. So these cartel members stopped their truck, told them to get out of the truck. And young men, like they do, say, well, probably you and I, we say, well, you look at each other and say, well, what do we do now? Like as if we have a choice. Right. And the drug cartel members cocked their Uzis, just like you talked about, automatic weapons. Right. These young men decided time to get out of the truck got out of the truck, they were marched over to the Arroyo, they're wondering now what. They let them go, hopped in the truck, drove these race to the back to the border, stuck the pickup in an Arroyo, then ran across the border, got across the border into an abandoned little Mexican town. They said you could hear the gunfire of the rival gang, cartel members, exchanging gunfire. Three of them come back across the border over the fence, exchanging gunfire with the border agents, and disappeared into the rageland. The Johnsons went to bed that night, not knowing where those three guys were. Nobody should have to live that way in the United States. I agree totally. You know, this is the United States, and it's uh, it's a sad situation down there, and we should. We need to secure that border. 
we should not be depending on our ranchers to secure our southern border. That's not, the, I mean, we don't ask that of anybody else in this country. Yes, sir. That's true. We try to raise our families down there, and, you know, they they uh, live at the headquarters. You've got young children. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a, a real concern, a real worry about the safety of, of your family. And so, it is. One of the things I thought was interesting when I, I'm an engineer, so I kind of look at things like an engineer does, and so I'm looking at this uh, Jersey barrier that's, that's uh, on the level land, and it's coming in like this, and then there's a hill here, and, but the Jersey barrier stops here. And what happens, the Jersey barrier stops there, it's barbed wire fence. Well, I looked at it when I was talking to the Johnsons, I said, your farm, your home is on the north side of that hill because that's where the water is. There's right. more moisture at the edge of the hill and it's a break from the wind. It makes sense. But what the federal government has done by ending these Jersey barriers is they have funneled the drug cartel members into the back of the Johnson's home. Wow. This is, I mean, when I saw that, I said, our government has made a situation even worse for our ranchers. And this is unconscionable to me. This is, and the other part that gets to me is that our elected officials are just turning a blind eye to that in the, on the federal level. In the rest of the state, they just turn their back and say, oh well. But one of the other topics that I wanted to get to you and chat about is Remember the commercial, where's the beef? <laughs> well, right. So the question I have today is, how do we know where our beef is coming from? Marion and I go to the grocery store. We look, when we buy groceries, we look at the origin for our food. We know where the tilapia is coming from. We're not picking up a package that's coming from China. We're not making sure where these products are coming from. We pick up a package of beef. We don't know where it's coming from. You want to fill me in on this? And, and none of us do know where it comes from, well, the way the current regulations are. In 2002, uh, mandatory country of origin labeling was initiated, and so they finally put that in place, and then at that time, retail stores were, you know, had to put a label, product of the USA. And in 2015, uh, because of the World Trade Organization and Mexico and Canada sued the United States uh, over uh, the World Trade Organization trade agreement. And so uh, because of that, uh, Congress had decided that in 2015 that they would uh, do away with uh, mandatory country of origin labeling. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, it's, and it's a big picture, but, but uh, your four big packers, they own 80% control 80% of that market so they truly uh, don't want to be don't want you to label that beef because now what can happen like let's take Brazil as an example they can buy cattle from Brazil and and uh, bring them into the United States ship it they can even ship Brazilian meat or meat from Mexico that's frozen in a box and as long as they, uh, they can take it out of a big box, cut it up and put it into little boxes and be able to label it as product of the USA. So they can buy lean meat uh, from, from foreign meat, pennies on the dollar, 
bring it into the United States, put it into smaller boxes, and then ship it anywhere uh, in the world uh, for, for what American beef would bring. I understand. So I want to make this clear. I, I understand about the pricing. But when it comes to the American producer, Marion and I are very clear. We don't purchase anything from China. Not a, we don't buy bowls that we put food in because does China have the controls to make sure that the glaze that's used on ceramic bowls isn't a lead glaze? Lead, I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah. But a long time ago, a lot of the glazes for pottery were lead glazed and then acidic food that lead would bleach out. We don't buy products from China because of the lack of controls, the lack of health standards. In prime example is, remember Firestone had the tires that blew up the sidewalls? Well, guess what? China had the same thing. And what did the China factory say? Well, we were able... You want to buy a tire at that price? Well, the only way we can sell to you at that price is we just take out the, the belts of steel on the sidewalls. Right. So what do you expect for a price? We need to know as producers where the product is coming from for health standards. When, whether in, we're seeing this, whether it's shrimp, whether it's beef, whether it's fish, uh, any products, but when we go to the grocery store, we want to know, is this American beef? Does it meet American standards? And the other item is that products that are raised or grown in other countries, their standards for environmental standards are very different than ours. That, that's very true. And uh, you know, other all other products that are imported into into the United States has to have a labeling, but beef and pork are the two that they do not have to label. And so, and the reason behind that is is because of the big packers lobbying up in Washington, and so they were able to you know remove that mandatory of country so origin labeling. For our viewers, if you're paying attention, if you're listening in Washington today. What you, we it's up to us. Randall just said it. They've been doing what they can for us, but it's up to us. We this is a true action. We got to do something about it, and it starts today. We need to write our congressmen and women. We need to write our senators, and say we need to know the origins of beef and pork. I guess right. Yes, sir. And we need to do it. So they can do that. What is the cattle growers doing about this? Producers and the cattle growers have been talking. We, we have sent letters to Secretary of Agriculture Purdue and in Washington. And we have also, you know, uh, sent letters as well to our senators. Uh, but we do. We need the consumers. You know, the producers are, are uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue to work like that. But if we can get the whole entire consumers to say we want this product to be labeled and and so if you do you know for trade reasons you know and we do have to bring uh, Brazilian beef in or Mexican beef in okay that's fine but but if it's labeled Mexican beef versus US beef I mean I know when I go to a grocery store and I, I sit there and I want to buy a, some hamburger meat or a steak whatever it might be I'm probably going to buy the American beef because I know 
how you know what goes into the harder work and the health that goes into right. that product and to support the stewards of our our ground and to support the stewards of our ground and right okay we need to wrap this segment up randall thank you very much thank you Mick. welcome back to this segment of to the point with mick rich and today we have Randall Major, President of New Mexico Cattle Growers Association. Thank you, man. Randall, again, as I said, good having you here today. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the last decade or t several decades is the population of rural New Mexico keeps decreasing. You can tell this, not just by looking at the census, but driving around the state and to see one small store after another or empty buildings, and I'm seeing this. What do you, what do you see is causing that? Well, we're having a, a lot of it, uh, many, many different things going on with agriculture, and it, 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 it's tied directly in with these rural communities. And, and, you know, used to, as I was growing up, there used to be a lot of ranch families out there. The families lived on the ranch. The families went, you know, the kids went to school. The schools get funding from the amount of kids that they get. But you know, uh, but as the ranchers uh, have been under a lot of attack from the Endangered Species Act, which we talked about in an earlier segment, that it's, uh, we see those families going away. And in uh, rural New Mexico, it's getting harder and harder all the time to uh, stay in business. I've sat there and watched every cafe in our little town shut down, and it's a sad deal. And so when our children grow up, they're not going into agriculture. Uh, you know, and they, they'll even leave state. They'll leave the state in order to look right. for, for other opportunities. No, I understand that. Uh, it, it, it tears me up to see that, that we need as a, whether you're living in the Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Las Cruces areas, or whether, you, no matter where you're at in this country, you're in an urban environment, uh, it's important that the whole country, the whole state, thrives, not just small areas of the country. And, and it's huge. It's, when I go back and we talk about, and I've said this before, that the, the cattle growers, the sheep herders, if you want organization, those individuals are the stewards of our land. When we talk about the bureaucrats in Washington, the, the folks that manage the Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Reclamation, the U.S. Forest, they're in Washington. They, go, they get done for the day, they go home. They are not, their well-being isn't tied to the land. I just go back and I think about uh, the gold mine, uh, the, what was it, the up in Colorado that had the spill. Oh, yes, sir. And there it was, the San Juan ran gold. Right. And what did the, how did the EPA clean it up? They changed the status of the river from drinking water to recreation. And so much for the people that depend on that, that waterway for their drinking water. It's like, oh, well. But when you're in Washington, your problems in New Mexico aren't that big. So why do you, why, you've got an opportunity here. Why do you believe it's important to our viewers that they support 
the cattle growers, the ranchers, the rural lifestyle. And I'm not saying we're not asking them to support the lifestyle. That's not their job. Right. But why should they care whether well, rural New Mexico becomes depopulated? Yeah, well, I tell you, that's that we, we could talk about that for an hour, but because uh, ranchers and agriculture, I mean, is just very important. And COVID, uh, the recent COVID has, has definitely shown that. When you go into your local grocery stores and those shelves are empty, all of a sudden it becomes a reality of how important agriculture is. And in even rural New Mexico, again, you know, you're raising your families out there, uh, uh, you're raising food out there, and uh, those ranchers, uh, when they go, you know, they're, they're very important to the economy of New Mexico uh, because when, when a rancher gets paid, he takes his money, he goes into town, you know, everything he buys supports the economy, that local rural uh, community, and, and also uh, he pays livestock taxes. You know, every one of those cows out there, you pay the tax to the county, which helps support the county and creates jobs for the county people. And, and so it's very important uh, in many, many different ways. And, uh, you know, ranchers help uh, water the livestock. I mean, uh, the wildlife out right. there through all their water improvements, you know, the elk, the deer, the antelope, the coyotes, the every, everything, the badgers. Uh, you know, we put in our drinking trough uh, wildlife escape, you know, so in case of a badger or something falls into the drinking trough, he oh, can no get kidding. out. So, yeah, Have you so. ever run across a badger? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You don't. You leave badgers alone. <laughs> oh, I've heard, I've heard that. I heard they get pretty ornery. Yes, Is sir. that correct? That's very true. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've never seen a badger. Oh, I've seen a mountain lion. I've seen, you know, bobcats and everything else. But I've never seen a badger. Boy, they're they're a great creature. Yeah, they're nice. Uh, so, when we talk the other item that thirty forty years ago the U.S. Forest U.S. Forest Service was was almost self-supporting with all the fees that they received through timber, the cattle industry, the sheep industry, all of those in different industries. The Forest Service was darn near self-supporting. That's not the case today. They're hurting financially, so that means a difference is that. Uh, you help support our federal lands. Well, that's very, you know, uh, to the, obviously to the detriment of the Forest Service and, and what their initial intent was as a bureaucracy, they've continued to grow and they've just expanded and expanded. And so, uh, you know, it's just gotten to the point where financially it's hard for them to uh, stay afloat and they've got to continue to spend tax dollars, uh, you know, to be able to pay pay their their bills, but uh, you know the ranchers out there do pay uh, grazing fees on the land, and and that's very very important. But not only do they, again, pay that grazing fee, but they also help keep the land pristine for recreation and also for hunting. And and, right. and again, they I, I keep going back to the water because water in New Mexico, our dry air oh, state right, is so huge, important. Right. <laughs> you know the elk. Hunters love to hunt elk. You know, those elk have to have water, and that's why they migrated, you know, into our state is uh, because there's lots of water. And, and the same goes down on the plains, those old dry plains in New Mexico, which just used to be rangeland, and then, you know, there, uh, we put wells all over that country, and now you've got herds of antelope, and, 
and uh, all the other wildlife that benefit. So has the, the, population, the herd po uh, population antelope, has that increased over the years, it, do you think? It, 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 it has increased. Uh, you know, the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish manages that, and, you know, they'll adjust numbers, hunting numbers, if, you know, if they think that a herd is getting too large or too okay. small. But. So one of the things I wanted to touch on, and it, it's kind of a kind of a unique way of looking at things and and we've touched on it a number of times through here and I've mentioned that uh, the the cattle growers the and I, I want to make sure that I include the sheep or the, the sheep, sheep industry growers. right uh, in this and I talk about that you're stewards of the land and I, I can't say that enough and the reason I bring that up is that I'm hearing that we need these different organizations, and I'm not going to go out and start naming them all, to protect the land. But if those individuals are a thousand miles away, and their organization says we support the land, but they're a thousand miles away, so maybe they supported this generation. But what about the next one and the next one? If they have no connection to the land, none at all, three generations, four generations down the road, whether it's wilderness, whether it's protected, four generations, five generations, nobody has any connection to land, and they say, hey, nobody's using that land. Let's just bulldoze it over. <laughs> I mean, if you have no connection to the land, if your well-being isn't connected to the land, what difference does it make if it's there? That's why I say your, you, your family, fellow ranchers, your organizations are patriots. Your organization supports our country to keep it pristine. It's not about protecting the land from you guys. Right. It's, you've been what, four generations? Four generations, yes. Four generations of being good stewards of the land. This is what we need. If we think about it, go back. As kids, did you ever read about Robin Hood? Yes, sir. Right, I did. <laughs> and read about Robin Hood. And what was it? And the, was the sheriff Nottingham, you know, the, <laughs> of the sheriff of Sherwood Forest? Or, right? And, and what did they do? They kept the people off the land, right? right. Out of the forest. Because they kept it for the king. Right. What we're talking about is that without your family doing what you're doing, the forest may not be there in four generations. Well, and that's something that, you know, New Mexico is so very diverse. The land and the grazing on it uh, is so very diverse. And healthy soil is, is always an important thing. If you're a rancher, the soil is as important. And people that try to manage that from Washington you don't have, you know, uh, the right tools to be able to work or tell us how, how, to, how to do it. Uh, you know, uh, ranchers have gotten way better over the last three decades, have been educating themselves on healthy soils. We've reduced our numbers to adjust to drought situation. You know, and not only do uh, we, we cut our numbers back on the forest allotments, but we have herds and herds of elk that are coming in and competing in with the grazing too. Right. 
And so, you know, there's a lot of different things you have to look at when you're grazing out there. And this is using land that wouldn't be, you know, used ordinarily for for anything. And uh, like you said, you know, other than, but, but it's not going to be dozed over and it's going to be protected. And so. Okay. So, Randall, where can people go to get more information on the New Mexico Cattle Growers Association? Well, you can, uh, you can go, actually, uh, New Mexico Cattle Growers Association, you can Google uh, NMCGA on, online, on, and okay. it'll take you to the website, and you can become a member, or you can learn all about us on that website. And also, we have a uh, uh, office here in Rio Grande, here at Albuquerque, and uh, you can call the office anytime to talk to them. And, and Good deal. I appreciate it, Randall. Thank you very much for coming on the program. And this is Mick Rich to the point.